0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of LMS Cast. My name is Chris Badgett, and today I am joined by Nate Wright from Theme of the Crop. And we're going to be talking about a hot topic that comes up whenever you're doing a web project, whether you're an online course creator, a teacher, or an entrepreneur, it's important to have some clear thinking around the differences between design and functionality and how to use technology to to support these two different things. And some things to watch out for. But first, Nate, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. So Nate is a does something very similar to what I do at Lifter LMS, where we're pre- predominantly on my side. Uh, Lifter LMS is a WordPress plugin that makes it easy to create, sell, and protect engaging online courses. And uh, predominantly, we make plugins, but we also have themes, and other companies have built themes that. Uh, work with Lifter LMS. So I'm kind of at living in both worlds of plugins and themes. Nate is the creator of Theme of the Crop, which is um, a technology solution for restaurants looking to come online and, and have a website that does the things that restaurants need to do. But So tell us a little bit about Theme of the Crop, Nate. What is it and what do you guys offer?
1: Yeah, so um, I, I call it a word Press shop for themes and plugins for restaurants. Um, so basically, I sell um, kind of a package of plugin solutions like Lifter LMS, which uh, help you manage things like re- restaurants manage things like online bookings or uh, restaurant menus, um, or in some cases, to kind of help out with certain kinds of SEO that are particularly good for businesses like local businesses like restaurants. Um, And then on top of those plugins, I also sell um, a suite of themes and they're basically the presentation layer. So the plugins kind of do the things a restaurant website needs to do and the themes bundle all that stuff up and present it in a fashion that uh, hopefully matches the restaurant's character and fits their needs, that sort of thing.
0: That's awesome. So, if you're listening to this episode and you happen to be a restaurant owner and are also making cooking classes, there's not a better podcast episode on the internet to listen to right now than this one. But even if you're not a restaurant owner or a course creator, uh, and you, at the same time, you're still going to get a lot of value out of out of this episode as we dive into this issue of design versus functionality. So, I kind of take a similar approach where I believe that you know. Uh, plugins in the WordPress language are for functionality and then themes are there for, you know, design, or like you said, the presentation layer, I'm probably going to steal that and use that, that expression later. But, uh, yeah, I I think of themes as, as design and really my experience with all this is in 2012, I launched my first online course project. It's still up. It's, uh, it's called Organic Life Guru. It's a gardening courses website, and I partnered with experts all over the world to make gardening courses. I found a theme on ThemeForest that was a LMS theme uh, called Academy, and the site is still using that right now. It's pretty soon, I'm going to be switching it over to Lifter LMS and all our stuff. But um, that's where I started. I started with an LMS theme, but what ended up happening is I, w- I got kind of locked in. I can't easily change the design because I would lose all the, you know, the, the functionality, the LMS functionality that's in it. So when I came around after doing um, a lot of client work for people building online courses and membership sites and doing those websites with WordPress, you know, I really got crystal clear on, you know, the, it's nice for functionality to be portable and themes to be, um, you know, for, for design so that you can easily change a theme later or, you know, work with just functionality, uh, in isolation from each other. So that's kind of, that's been kind of my experience with it, but tell us more about how you approach theme versus plugin functionality versus design.
1: Yeah. Well, when I, sort of got started with Theme of the Crop, which was probably, uh, I think it was more like end of 2013. Um, uh, around that time, there were a lot of concerns within the WordPress community about uh, what had happened with the sort of sudden growth of themes on ThemeForest um, and the way that they would bundle functionality into the theme like you experienced with your um, LMS theme. Uh, and, and the problem is that you would buy this theme and it would come with all of this functionality, but then two three years later when you needed to make a change, you couldn't you couldn't just take your website you'd built and move it to another theme because both the functionality and the presentation were all bundled up together um, so uh, right when I started coming out uh, with theme of the crop was when there was a lot of discussion around this. And Theme Forest has since sort of come out with rules basically telling uh, theme developers you can't bundle functionality with your theme. If you do, you kind of have to split it off into a plugin. Um, and that had the right intention, but unfortunately, you've ended up with a situation where every theme has split the two, but it's still, it's still using its own proprietary plugin and its own proprietary theme. And so even though the data is technically separated, you still can't really go from one theme to the next because they're using completely different platforms. Um, So, um, so Essentially, within the crop, what I do is I built a suite of plugins that were not just restricted to my themes but which a number of other themers could uh, make use of uh, with the intention that somebody who buys one of my themes could move to a competitor and still um, use all the same sort of functionality. Um, that's kind of the ideal. Uh, I, I think the reality is sometimes a little bit more complicated, um, but but definitely sort of it, it's the question around lock-in. Um, and you know if you, uh, you know, if your audience tried to um, build its audience on a third party service like Facebook or somewhere, Um, they're going to face the same issue where it's difficult to actually get those customers and those relationships out of that locked in service-based place and into a place where you control the data and you can do whatever you want with it. Uh, If you want to make some special thing, you can go out, you can hire a developer and you can do it. You can't do that on a locked in system like Facebook. Um, And, and so it, you know, it's this kind of, descending levels of separation between all these different components which just allow you your business to grow as you grow rather than being locked into one thing forever
0: that's awesome yeah i mean that's one of the strengths and weaknesses i guess of the wordpress community because wordpress has a uh, you know it's on a mission to democratize publishing and application development and these things but part of the democratization process is you know, just being, having open borders basically and being able to, um, you know, take one piece out and insert another piece in without the whole thing falling apart. So WordPress can be very simple or you can get very complicated with, you know, lots of plugins and, you know, or a a lightweight theme or a heavyweight theme. So uh, it's just one of the issues there. And that's such a great point about lock-in, making things portable. Even at (laughs) Lifter LMS, we recently added a export feature. So you can actually export all your courses and, you know, use that for a backup or take them somewhere else. But that's just part of our alignment with the issue of like not locking people in. We also have an import feature where we make it easy for people to pull in courses from somewhere else. Um, So that portability is is a big part of things. So, well, what in your mind makes a great theme. And it's sort of a loaded question because one of the things that I really admired about you and wanted to have you on the show for, uh, is how you got really focused on one very specific type of user or customer. Um, cause sometimes the, uh, you know, things like a really what we call a bloated theme can do like 57 different things and, and all this stuff. But, uh, just like with lifter lms like we're really focused on people who want to sell courses and that's about it it's either it either resonates or it doesn't so what makes a good theme in your opinion and how did you get so focused on the restaurant owner or the restaurant user type
1: yeah um so the question of what makes a good theme um is tricky because it it does depend a lot on the user and it depends a lot on Sort of the whole process around which the website is getting built and how it will be maintained and all that sort of stuff. Um, I, think, I think in an ideal world uh, where everything was uh, completely separated and you had maximum flexibility and portability from one thing to another, a theme would do nothing but define the presentation of, of the site. So, you know, the colors that are used, the typography, you know, the font stacks, um, Uh, you know, basic layout things like is the text on the left or the right? And, uh, you know, ideally a theme would only ever do that. Uh, In reality, themes kind of need to be a a little bit aware of the content that they're working with. Um, The the sort of any theme for any website, it really only works if you're talking about specific archetypal websites, like any theme for any shop website, any theme for any blog website. you know, it's very hard to take a design that works really well for a blog and make it work really well for a shop, for instance. Um, so, in that sense, although themes should be portable from, from one place to another, they, in some ways they have to be kind of what I call plugin aware, like they have to know the plugins that they're meant to be interacting with uh, in order to present them in the best possible light. Um, and that's where that's where standardization and stuff comes in. So, a good theme, a good theme will try to do less on its own. Like It won't try and have its own bespoke system for everything. What it will try to do is find best-in-class plugins for the specific features that its target customer needs and it will integrate those plugins uh, with the theme. Uh, so that could be using Lyfter LMS. Um, it could be, um, if I was a food blogger, it could be... Um, Going out there and finding the the, the best, most reliable, um, like a recipe plugin, for instance, and making sure that my theme presents it really well. Um, so, so I think a good theme is targeted enough to know which themes to uh, which plugins to select and which plugins to not select, um, but not so specific that it only ever works with some narrow plugin that. Only the people using that theme are going to be using. What you want to do is find plugins that are widely used. Um, that's that's sort of my general um, PSA on uh, what to do with themes. Uh, in that's terms really of cool. find, yeah. yeah, in terms of finding the niche customer, you know, it was a little bit it was a little bit of an accident on my part to be honest. I um, I entered the space mostly just looking for some passive income, um, and I did a just kind of quick analysis of which, which niche I thought didn't have too much competition, but might have a lot of buyers. Uh, and I settled on the restaurant one and I made the theme for that. Um, and by the time I'd gone through that process, I mean, when I set up, I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just go out and I'll find a plugin that works and I'll integrate it. And I went out and, you know, for a lot of smaller niches, there just aren't very many good WordPress plugins. Sometimes there are none. And, um, the, the the restaurant space has opened up a little bit in the last few years. But in 2013, as far as I was concerned, there was no such thing as a good menu plugin. And there was no such thing as a good re- restaurant
0: reservations plugin. And there's uh, a lot of restaurants out there. <laughs> there are. And, yeah. and,
1: I, and I think you'll find actually that, that sort of the local business market is really underserved. Um, it's huge. And yet... Um, when you talk to people in the sort of uh, developer community, they're entirely focused on blogging, um, publishing, or e-commerce. Um, whereas there's this massive market of local businesses that need good good websites and need like plugins that solve problems for them.
0: Um, yeah, and one way. So to... I
1: kind of stumbled into it, but once, I did... yeah, go ahead.
0: I was just gonna say one way to think about that if you're. Um, you know, trying to find one of those underserved markets is just think about a really small town and think about like, you know, if they had like only had 20 or 50 businesses, what would those be? And those, those are those opportunities you're talking about. Restaurants, yeah. of course, are in every town. Um, yeah. you, there's usually a lawyer. There's usually hairdresser. hairdresser, grocery Dentist. store. Yeah. 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 yeah,
1: I live on. I live in Edinburgh, um, and in most places in Europe, you have kind of like mixed use zoning. You know, it's it's shops on the ground floor and and apartments and flats above, kind of thing. Um, and so, I, I really just think about it, like walking down my street. You know, what are the things that have to be within a one mile radius that, that everybody has within a one mile radius because you have to walk to it. Um, Uh, And and there are loads of business opportunities there uh, because they're almost all being underserved.
0: Absolutely. And uh, I just want to say like from the lifter side, there's, um, you know, there's a lot of people trying to teach. Now I'm not saying lifter LMS is a good fit for every single school and every single town. A lot of people aren't doing online training, but there's also this misconception that the, you know, that the, the market is really just the make money online niche of people trying to just make money on the internet by teaching stuff. There's all kinds of applications of teaching um, that aren't necessarily primarily focused on, you know, making money on the the internet opportunity. I'm just trying to think in the restaurant industry, um, you know, if you're a restaurant owner and you uh, you could have some internal training that you're not selling to the public, but You're curating like how you want your your wait staff to, um, you know, learn their job. And you're taking like the best waiter or waitress in your your company and you have them help participate in making the lessons of like how to train the new person so that when they start, they can take the online course in addition to, you know, working with shadowing somebody more experienced. Um, There's all kinds of different ways you can use online courses besides just, um, you know, trying to make money. If you were trying to do that in the wor- in the restaurant niche, you know, lots of people have the interest in starting their own restaurant. You could have the mm-hmm. restaurants, you create restaurant startup courses. You could get even more niched. Like what are you going to do? Sushi, Italian, uh, you know, Mongolian grill startup course, or, you know, the vegan restaurant startup course, whatever it is, there's, there's just yeah. a lot of opportunity out there.
1: Yeah, actually, there's a, a there's a a lot of restaurants are doing their website and digital marketing themselves. You know, they're not contracting that stuff out. So I think there'd be loads of demand for a course that really showed a restaurant how do you how do you do like local digital marketing? Um, and, yeah, I think know, that's a
0: that's that's a really good point because I mean it's <clears throat> you may know digital or social media marketing but when you really niche down like to the four restaurant owners or four sushi restaurant owners or whatever, uh, you're really getting targeted. And I can't, I can't emphasize that enough. How, how much easier it is to compete when you're really focused as opposed to. And, and, you
1: know, I think there's a misconception in the digital marketing space that kind of, uh, what works for one site works for every site. And, uh, restaurants, restaurants are sort of quintessentially local bricks and mortar businesses. And that means that there's a lot of, um, they have a lot of unique technical needs. Um, and one example is I did a comparison a while ago of um, kind of different lead generation things that restaurants could use to uh, capture people's email addresses on their website.
0: So um, what did you find out?
1: Well, I came down sort of recommending this third-party service called Privy.com um, and what really impressed me about them is that they had they had a kind of end to end platform that connected your website with the the physical like so you so that someone would come to your site and they get a pop up which everybody's familiar with and there's a million services providing pop ups um, but you could have them put in their email address and you would it would send them a um, uh, one of those QR codes. Uh, and so then they could bring that QR code in and Privy had an app that you could have your staff have on their phones to just uh, scan the QR code. Um, and
0: so is that like a free drink or a discount yeah. or something? Okay.
1: But the, the great thing about that is that then you have end to end analytics. Like not only do you know a lot about the person who came and visited the site, but you also know which which branch did they end up going into? What did they end up purchasing? or like using the discount on. Um, So that that kind of linking up, there's loads of space when you really start to niche down, you realize there's lots of opportunity for doing things better um, or or more narrowly targeted way.
0: That's awesome. And if you just had like some kind of general reservation system that wasn't necessarily just for restaurants, you never would have gotten that kind of insight. I mean, once you get really into the wants and needs and pain points of a really specific type of business owner especially uh you know the the problems and the opportunities are much more nuanced so that's that's really cool well what do you think of what in terms of what makes great design so if somebody's listening right here like you're a theme builder um you know you're trying you help provide the presentation layer for restaurants just what are some concepts you use when you sit down to a blank canvas and start thinking about design? What are some things, what are some principles that people should think about if they want to have a good design, but don't necessarily know how to do it? They may know it when they see it, but what are some core key concepts?
1: Well, I guess first off, I should say, I I don't really consider myself a top-notch designer, um, and, and in fact, for my last theme, I contracted out the um, a lot of the the actual sort of initial um, design mockup and stuff. Um, so there's the first lesson. Like,
0: there's the first lesson right there, which is um, you know perhaps leverage another designer, like it, yeah. or at least at the first level to get the brand guideline or some general like styles.
1: Yeah. What I would what I would do is I would distinguish between. Um, kind of aesthetic design and um, what's often called user experience or user interface design. Um, so I'm not very good at that aesthetic design, and that is, you know, somebody who can come up with a really cool logo or who could make an awesome looking poster. That's that requires aesthetic skills, which I think I'm I think I'm like okay at, but I'm not, you know, I'm not quite up there. Um, but the other side of it is much more focused on sort of marketing principles and business, business outcomes.
0: Um, like you were just so, describing with the pop-up and the yeah. connecting bricks to clicks.
1: Yeah, exactly. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, yeah, so, so you the thing I see all the time is some, this restaurant has – this website that has a million different style things on it. There's animations going on. There's loads of stuff going on, but they don't have their phone number or their opening hours or even their address. Uh, you know, like the very first thing that you should be thinking about in business is what does the user who comes to your website want to do? And how can I make that as clear as possible for them to do it? Um, and, and you know, that, you don't need to be a good designer to think through that um you don't need that at all. in fact, oftentimes really good designers aren't the best at that because they don't know your business and they don't know your customers um, they you know this might be the first restaurant or l m s website they've ever built. they might not know what are the priorities and and you kind of need to be able to set those um, and then the other, the other big thing that I think of right off the bat is um, how are you going to convert? So a customer might, like, customer might want to come and they might already know they want to come to the restaurant, for instance. And in that case, you just need to make sure that they can get the address, the phone number, uh, or the opening hours as quickly as they want because that's probably what they're coming for. Um, but the other thing is that customer who's just checking you out, how are you going to convert them from a potential customer into a real one? Um, and you 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 use do that by using things like calls to action. Um, so you give them a really compelling prompt that makes them interested in it, and then you give them a really clear action they can take to fulfill whatever you've prompted them to do. Whether that's make a booking or uh, look at your menu or or look at an app, uh, a map of where you're located, you know something like that. So they can turn that uh, click. Into a brick, <laughs> uh, awesome. yeah. But uh, so that's that's probably the the second big thing. Uh, the third big thing is a little bit technical, but uh, for instance, particularly with the restaurant space. Um, I mean, obviously, mobile compatibility is really important for just about anybody on the web. But I think it's especially important for restaurants. Um, a lot of restaurant customers might be tourists who are in town. Um, they might be They might have data roaming issues. So they might be on a a 3G connection. Um, So they're going to be on a slow phone connection and they're probably going to be checking out all of your competitors at once trying to figure out where they're going to go.
0: So that's where like a fancy design could hurt you that has all these animations and things that are hard to load on the phone. And you actually, you know, they might just give up and move on because your website's too slow, even though it's beautiful. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, And... And yeah, and you've got to be able to turn that visitor around as quickly as possible. Um, and that's a, that's, a, that's a big, massive chunk of users. I'd say it's probably more than 50% for most restaurants. Um, not necessarily the tourist angle, but the the mobile user. Um, and you're right that kind of the more fluff you put into your website, the slower it's going to be. Um, uh, and And finally, the last thing is, you you need good design less than you need good photos. Um, obviously, they're all kind of part of the same thing. Um, but if you have a choice between spending loads of money on a, a whiz-bang website that somebody's going to make for you, or you, you can spend the money on hiring a photographer, at least for restaurants. This isn't true for all niches. But for restaurants, I would tell them, you know, pay for that photographer because you can you can put great photos on a plain website,
0: and it'll look way better than bad photos on a fancy website. That's awesome. Yeah. And in the course world, we have a similar recommendation in that let's not make the, the website too fancy. Let's put all the focus on the lesson content, like the videos or the images. If you make everything around it, all these animations and pictures and things, it can get really distracting. Well, I didn't realize I had uh, somebody with that million-dollar skill on the line of UX design. So I kind of want to unpack that a little bit because I think that the user experience design is like a highly underrated and misunderstood, and I don't even know if there's any way to like really – there's training programs for it or whatever. What I see when I run into user experience designers is um, it sort of evolves over time. And then if they're, they really niche down and really invest in the users, they think about all this stuff from that standpoint of this person passing through the, you know, an experience and how does technology support that instead of starting with, okay, I need the, all these building blocks of technology because I'm this kind of business it's very different. And in education, that's, it's all about the end user. Like if whatever decision needs to be made, as long as you focus on the end student, Uh, As long as it's the best call for that person, everybody else wins. Yeah. Uh, And and the same way of what you're talking about is let's focus on the end restaurant perspective, restaurant, um, goer, uh, you know, if speed's important, if finding it's important, if, um, you know, getting to the menu, the hours is important. Those are really important things. I mean, I, 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 there's nothing more frustrating than going to a restaurant on Sunday and it's closed and you, you drove a long way because you, the hours weren't easy to find on the website. I actually, because I'm a web guy, I look at restaurants a lot just with a critical eye when I come across them because a lot of them like have terrible websites, but some of them like, even if it's just a, I would rather go to a website that is nothing more than a PDF that has the menu on it, the office hours, the address, and the phone number. I'm good to go. I would rather see that yeah. than see a beautiful website that's missing one of those. One of those. Yeah. Things.
1: And it's amazing how many are missing it. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. I. I don't even know where to start on that because it's it's yeah. It. I've seen a lot of improvement over the last three years in terms of restaurant websites, but you still run across so many where you just think like nobody's nobody's put any thought into into the problem-solving side of this
0: yeah i do want to go off on a little tangent here because you brought it up which is seo Mm -hmm. Uh, um when you really niche down you get the unique challenges of a really specific segment so for course creators one of the big seo challenges is a lot of their content is locked down beside lessons and things and memberships so the search engines don't necessarily index it so that's a huge seo challenge that uh, like a blog site doesn't have it all. So no. what, is this, what is this SEO problem or opportunity that you solve with restaurant sites? What is that all about?
1: Yeah, it's primarily, it's primarily about um, rich snippets for local businesses. So if you search for a restaurant or any kind of local business uh, on Google, you know, you'll probably know what I'm talking about when I talk about that little panel that appears on the side and it's got a map and it's got your name, a business name, and, and it may or may not have a phone number, opening hours. It can even have a link to your restaurant menu. It can have a link to where you accept reservations. Um, So a lot of what I do is provide a really simple way to put in that data and then output it in a way that Google knows how to read and interpret and display that.
0: Super valuable, super valuable. yeah. Yeah.
1: and, and, should be I think like one of the primary parts of a restaurant website but um actually getting people to be interested in this is quite difficult because because they, they haven't yet made that switch. Everybody knows you need SEO but nobody's quite recognized the value of a uh, local SEO for local businesses. Because um, it's not like the the main um when you go to Google on your desktop and you put in that search you get that side panel. But a whole lot of people are doing searches directly from Google Maps on their phone, for instance. Um, and the way that Google know, Maps knows how to put that dot that shows where your restaurant is is through, um, through that same kind of schema markup system. So uh, yeah, it's a, I think it's incredibly valuable and kind of um, a shame that it's not really thought about by many restaurants because a lot of the restaurants have terrible websites. They just had this up it would probably make a pretty big
0: difference for them. So somebody who's listening to this episode, go make an online course called SEO for restaurant owners. And you can use LMS know. to do that. And yeah. Can... And let me know so I can
1: tell my, uh, all my customers to go follow it.
0: <laughs> yeah. And then they can, they can get some themes from theme of the crop. So that's yeah. real. that's really, uh, that's a really good insight. Yeah. SEO is just one of those things. Sometimes I think it's important, especially if you're, doing something business to business. um, Some things are really hard for the business to latch onto, or maybe because there's an education gap, like, Oh, I don't even understand this SEO thing or certain things are overvalued. Like, Oh, I want this animation in the slider. And you're like, no, they want your menu and your office hours (laughs) and they want it to load fast. Yeah. So there's, go ahead.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think, there's a component of identity that's wrapped up in somebody's website. Uh, and so somebody really wants it to represent themselves. And because they're maybe not a technical person, they can only really evaluate what they see. So uh, they want what they see to impact them and represent them in a way that feels exciting about who they are or whatever. Um, and you know, that's great for a blog or a personal project, but if you're running a business, you should be thinking about other things because what appeals to you isn't necessarily what's going to work for converting visitors into customers.
0: That's awesome. Well, I just want to kind of highlight the various archetypes or types of people that, um, you know, when it comes to design and development, uh, and this is very, very, very rarely, these qualities are very rarely found in one person. So oftentimes you have to hire somebody, you have to buy a product, um, you have to consult with somebody or whatever, but so there's really three areas: there's the design, the development, and the business part of it all. So, like I like what you said about design: there's an aesthetic designer, and then there's the UX designer, and then development is all about functionality. It's like, well, okay, well, how do I make the SEO work? How do I get a restaurant reservation? How do I buy buy a course? Protect the course? All these things, and then the business owner, you know, is has really two jobs. One is innovation, which means making something valuable, making food that tastes good, making courses that create results. And then they have the second job, which is the marketing or the selling of all that. And Mm -hmm. often even within a business, somebody's really good at like making food in the kitchen, the -hmm. innovation, but they're not necessarily awesome at sales or linking up pop-ups to QR codes and all this stuff. So, um, Yeah, it's just important to realize where you're strong and where you're not strong and get products and people around you so you have a really well-rounded approach to design and development.
1: Yeah, and and one thing I'd add to that, maybe a a third job that that business person has is to uh, make sure that when they're hiring a designer or a developer, that 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 designer or developer understands the business imperatives, not just not just the aesthetic imperatives or whatever. Because me as a developer, I come with a whole baggage of uh, past problems I've solved. So whenever I come to a new problem, I think about how I solve those other problems. But your problem as a business owner might be very different and might have very different um, like solutions that have to be found. Um, and so you know, as a business owner... If you're trying to evaluate whether a developer you want to hire is the right hire for you, you should really make look for a developer who instinctively knows to ask you about what these business outcomes are. Um, if your developer is only asking you for technical specs,
0: um, like what functionality then, do you want or what do you want yeah, it to look like? Yeah. then
1: they're probably you're probably going to end up with something that fulfills your technical requirements but doesn't serve your business needs um, unless you're very good at uh, interrupting that person and making sure that that they're focused on your needs. But in most cases, you want somebody who who understands that their technical skill, whether that's an artistic technical skill with the designer or um, a programming technical skill with the developer, is only one part of the problem and that, that they need to reach out to you and figure out the whole picture. Um, that's, a good, that's a really good way of, of vetting developers really quickly because a lot of developers won't do that and and you'll be able to weed out a lot of bad ones pretty quickly.
0: Yeah, and I would say something similar in terms of design. Um, Design should be outcome-focused, which loosely in the web world of design should help with what's known as conversions, whether that's an email opt-in, purchasing a product, making a reservation, enrolling in a course, whatever it is. So there might be great design, but if it doesn't further that end result of... You know, getting someone to make a reservation or easily find the restaurant—it may not be the right design for that project. So, yeah, I like yeah. that, and that's that's really that's why I called it the million-dollar skill—the the user mm-hmm. UX designer or the user experience designer because the user experience designer, if they can get in sync with the business owner, because um, the business owner also really understands and should understand the user experience, you know of their ideal customer or whatever, and the experience they're trying to to create. So once everybody's on the same page, whatever the the resulting, you know, website or application or whatever is, it's going to be 10 times better than, you know, just picking software off the shelf, stringing it together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I don't want to discount, I mean, we both sell software off the shelf that people can use to string (laughs) stuff together. So I don't want to discount that. I mean, I think, But a lot of user
0: experience went into the design of that stuff. True. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, by reservations plugin, for instance, I am very deliberate about keeping the options minimal and uh, keeping the booking form process as streamlined as possible. um, Which means I'm constantly fending off requests for other stuff. Um, But you know, when you have hundreds of thousands of customers, you know, you can't fulfill every single little request or else you're going to have hundreds of thousands of features that everybody has to deal with, even if they don't want them. Um, So yeah, it's like, I would say, I would say when you're choosing products, choose products that have been carefully designed. Um, But, but yeah, well, I guess what I was saying at the, uh, just a second ago is I don't want to discount the off the shelf stuff. Um, I think what I would caution people to do is if you, if you take something off the shelf and you deploy it be very careful about how you go about modifying it from that point on because oftentimes decisions will have been made about things for very good reasons and you might not understand why those decisions were made so uh, you might think oh well i don't want this here i want it over there uh, and so you'll you know maybe you'll go in and you'll hack something about or you'll fi- figure out how to get it from one place to the next but um, if the product has been well designed then it's been it's it's had its design done in a way that thinks about where everything is positioned and why and stuff uh, and so unless you really know what you're doing, you know obviously everybody needs to customize stuff from time to time, but um, a good product will have really good sensible defaults um, that are best left alone unless you really know what you're doing
0: yeah and that's <clears throat> that's one of the The neat things with the WordPress community, it's both extendable, but also, I mean, you can take it forever and go different Mm. places with it. But yeah, I like what you're saying. A lot of thought went into the defaults. And uh, I mean, it's easy. There's a word that we use in software called bloat. Like it's easy to make something like really bloated. So the things that are there, especially if the product's been around for a while or has really come through a lot of intentional forethought before it was launched um, it's important to recognize that it's just like uh, building a house you know all the components that go into it you may not be aware of it unless you happen to be a house builder but there's a lot of parts in there and there's also a lot of parts that aren't there
1: (laughs) yeah yeah like you know you might want to move a shelf from one place to the next but you might drive that nail in and realize you've just driven it through a a wire or something you know (laughs) Right. Um, there's a lot that goes into it uh, that you you know you might not be aware of, and that's okay. Not everybody needs to be a technical expert, but um, uh, yeah, you have to be careful about sort of pushing things too far.
0: All right. well, if you're a restaurant owner and you're also looking to teach cooking classes, you've got come find these two guys that you see on your screen or if you're listening in uh, <laughs> the podcast audio only this this podcast episode is also recorded on youtube my name is chris badgett i'm from lifter lms and this is nate wright from theme of the crop if people want to connect with you nate where can they find you
1: yeah you can talk to me on twitter at NateWR. wr that's n-a-t-e-w-r um or uh or you can reach out to me at theme of the crop on twitter uh, i'm also on facebook facebook.com slash theme of the crop um, and I'll reply to you anywhere there. Um, but of course you can check out my stuff and get in touch with me on my website as well at theme That's
0: awesome. Well, thank you, Nate. I really enjoyed our conversations around design and development and niching down a ton of value there for the listener. So thank you for coming on the show.
1: Thanks for having me.